Hello and welcome to Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Kearney and I'm here with the singing Aaron West. Aaron, I have no idea what you were just singing. I am the worst singer. In fact, I, this is a festive vibe, so I, I, I wanted to maybe do like some sort of salsa, but I can't. <laughs> you can't really dance on podcasting, unfortunately, because I'd like to see you dance uh, to the music uh, we're listening to. I would be about like uh, uh, Taylor Nichols' character doing Pennsylvania 6500, <laughs> 6-5, In fact, I, I would be a worse dancer than that. And my singing's not much better, mm. or it might be worse too. Yeah, well, that, that's why you're a podcaster, and on podcasters, people cannot see our faces or see us dancing. That's a good thing. Yep, unless we do a video podcast someday. Someday, hmm. yeah, hmm. And we'll just dance, dance the night away. Nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's why we talk. That's why we talk. So this is uh, Criterion Close-Up. We're here talking about the Whit Stillman film Barcelona, uh, recently released on the Criterion Blu-ray and DVD. And uh, so, yeah, we'll get into that. We did just want to briefly uh, mention that this is our episode 41, and we neglected to plug number 40. We hit the big 4-0, so I, I know yeah, it's, it's it's not really a milestone, even though I think we, we appreciate milestones, but yep. the only reason it was one to us is because early on, uh, Tim from First Time Watchers said that uh, you're, you don't know what you're doing until you, you have 40 episodes. Right. Uh, and... And actually, when I, I put something on Twitter and JD from In Session, he he made a nice comment like, uh, you, "You guys knew what you're doing at episode two or something," which yeah, is that was nice. Very, that was very <laughs> nice. And uh, and yeah, I guess we had a, a good um, we had a good direction, and I think we had had a focus. But Tim is right in that I think we've kind of found our voice and found something that works. You know, uh, hearing from listeners and and engaging with listeners and. And with each other, developing yeah. a rapport. So. Yeah, exactly. It just it takes some time, and it's amazing. I, the, the thing I joked is that you know you don't really know what you're doing with podcasting uh, until you reach forty, and I, I said the same thing about you know age. Until you're forty, you don't really know what you're you're doing in this life. So I don't know if that's really I, I true, but. And I'm I'm wise as can be right now. <laughs> I, I'm forty three. Uh, in case listeners were wondering, so, uh, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, Pretty I, much good, I, at, good I, at everything. I hit forty-one, which uh, you know dovetails into this episode number. So yeah, we we know what the, what the f we're doing right now. Man, for sure. you are a baby. <laughs> so yeah, no idea. I was talking to a kid <laughs> all this time. So yeah, so episode forty-one, Barcelona. 41. Uh, before before we do move on into that, uh, we do have some short takes. A couple things we wanted to mention. Uh, first thing was just the, the feedback from our last episode, the sci-fi episode with World on a Wire. I uh, got some nice feedback, comments, uh, and even someone who went in and uh, created their own top fifty list. Aaron, so yeah, what do you think? Yeah, that that was Tim, uh, Tim Lego, uh, who we we loved him. Uh, he he put kind of off the top of his head put together a top 50 which I'll, I we won't go into but I'm going to put it in the show notes and perfect uh, encourage people to go look at it uh, but yeah this was that was a different episode for us we we did more on the front end and uh, you know kind of just talking about sci-fi and and our feelings about it and my list and and people like that uh, of course we did less for world on a wire and uh, and some people maybe wanted more there but uh, that was sort of an outlier this is what we're doing today is more what we do usually. More, more so. typical, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, I think people, uh, you know, respond to a, a lot of people are sci-fi fans if they are genre fans. I think horror and sci-fi tend to bubble up. So I think we have a mm-hmm. lot of listeners that are 
uh, fans of the genre. And it was fun to just to, to explore something, you know, a genre like that yeah. in that style. I mean, of course, we'll talk plenty about sci-fi in the future, uh, whether by title or by genre, but still, good, good to stretch our legs. Yeah, yeah, it was just different. I'm glad folks engaged with that. Speaking of engaging, uh, we've been busy this past week uh, with uh, podcasting. Uh, we we seem to keep keep doing this, Aaron, and it's a ton of fun to podcast. It, it's also you know a lot of work, but uh, you know I really appreciate folks reaching out to us and engaging and having us as as guests. So um, yeah, you were able to join the Wrong Real podcast, our friends over there for the Three Colors trilogy. Yeah, and what's what's funny is. You're right. It is a lot of work, even though I love doing it. Exactly. So I, I, I've been trying to say no a little more, or um, or to you know find a good time, uh, a time that works for me. Yep. But with Wrong Reel, I got like maybe four or five days notice, and it was three colors, and I was just like, <laughs> got three films was, to watch. <laughs> it was a Monday night, which is about the worst time for me, or, or Tuesday night. I'm sorry, and I was just, I'm in. <laughs> Let make it happen, nice. and uh, and and yeah, I had a good time. It, they have a different vibe over there. Uh, by the way, uh, if if you're wondering if I have uh, certain four-letter words in my vocabulary, there they just are. <laughs> go take a listen. <laughs> it's funny. Did you listen to it? I haven't yet. No, it's on the list. They they called you out a little bit. Uh, they they said that I like coming on there because you don't allow me to use certain words on this <laughs> podcast. So, Mark, I mean, what's what's your deal? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I tend to use the four-letter words uh, from time to time, too. But, uh, yeah, it's just not my, as far as podcasting goes, not my, my favorite thing to do. But, you know, we have had a couple of explicit episodes. Oh, yeah. Well, the most, uh, we have Robert E. Lee's horse. Uh, that's which, right. <laughs> that's the most infamous. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I do enjoy, uh, and, and first-time watchers, you guys also, uh, yep. it's a, it's a, what's the... Um, it's not clean. It's right, vulgar. the non-clean rating, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Yep, and you, you have to put that out there on uh, on iTunes, so... Yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things, I guess, maybe after having kids, I try to, to not use uh, four-letter words as much as I, I used to. They do come come out from time to time, but... Yeah, and I cuss like a sailor, like a truck <laughs> truck driver, and I'm biting my tongue every episode. No, I'm kidding. I, 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 I don't can, believe that. I, I'm a working professional, so... <laughs> I'm glad you got to join them. Good, good uh, three films to to talk about. I was able to join and talk about another Criterion release, uh, Mon Uncle, the Jacques Tati film on first time watchers. So I've been uh, joining them every every couple of months or so to talk about mm-hmm. a film. It just happened to be Criterion film. Also did the Criterion 101, where I got a little personal and made some personal recommendations based on recent Criterion releases to to those guys. So always. Uh, Always great host, gracious host. Thanks for having me on, guys. I, I like the way you did that. Uh, oh, you thanks. Know, thinking about it from from their perspective. Now, now the trick is to make sure they watch them right. and give give you a report <laughs> next time. Uh, and I'm willing to bet that not everyone will do their homework, but that's okay. Right, right. Tim had ab- already seen Brief Encounter. Of course, that was a. I, I thought of Tim because he's always talking about the before trilogy yes. and loves that. I'm like, oh, if, he, if you've seen that, you've got to see Brief Encounter, and he had. So great good, suggestion, good job, and and of course also the the Kennedy films. Yeah, I'm I'm a, a big fan of those. So that yeah. was good. Good stuff. So, and you were on Chronicles, which actually just dropped this morning, and I, I actually I was going to be on it, but I had some personal stuff, uh, some family stuff, so I had to bow out. I was going to do the Road trilogy, 
so I haven't heard it yet, but uh, how did it go? Great. Yeah, we had a really good discussion. Uh, we you know, got into each of the films. As folks know, we had, uh, of course, Ryan Gallagher, David Blakesley, Arik Devins, and I were on, and we covered all of the, the May releases, had some really good discussion. I just, I like the format of, you know, we have one person that kind of leads the discussion and uh, whoever else has been able to watch the film and or the supplements can kind of chime in a bit. And uh, yeah, went went really uh, really well. Um, even even recording late at night as we do because we're across mm-hmm. different time zones. Uh, we had a really nice discussion. So hope hope folks check it out. It's a good you know it's a good primer too, Aaron. I think with the Barnes and Noble sale, people if they haven't oh, yeah. um, you know picked some of these up, give you a, a, some insight into which ones you might want to be sure to grab uh, in July during the sale. Yeah, and I, I think we're gonna get into Barnes and Noble uh, probably when we do the player. I think. Uh, to, so keep an eye on that. We'll uh, we'll give you some tips on how to get cheap criterions. Cheap so, criterions. Yeah. It's, a, it's the time to stock up. I, one question, since I haven't listened, but uh, had had many people seen the Road Trilogy besides Ryan? I no no they hadn't. Uh, um, I don't think darn. I'm not sure if anyone else had on the show. I'd only seen Alice in the Cities and quite a while ago on Hulu. Uh, I don't think anyone else had delved into the box set. But really good discussion from Ryan. Uh, he. He revealed something about Vim Vendors that was interesting uh, from his perspective. So definitely cool. a good listen. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. I'm a um, huge fan of that set and that series. So, uh, I, well, of course, I, I haven't started on the set yet, but uh, I love right. the movies. Yeah, that, that'll be a popular box set, I'm sure, for the for the sale, of course. And I have a feeling that we'll get into it a little bit sometime. So. Yeah, yep. In gonna some way, to. shape, or form. Yep, going to have to. Spe- speaking of which, uh, maybe... Maybe this little development will um, will be the way we tackle that. Shall we kind of announce what we're, what we've been planning? Yeah, uh, this is. I, I think the name of it is has kind of changed a little bit, but I like the way you've uh, coined it as the Movement Podcasts, Aaron. Where we're going to be talking about. Uh, we have a, a schedule really currently where we're doing. Um, typically each month we've got three weeks on, one week off, uh, as we started doing a couple of months ago. And it's part of the Movement Podcast. This will be our big episode we've been talking about um, mm-hmm. monthly where we are talking about a certain movement in film, uh, whether it's um, you know neorealism, maybe the French New Wave, uh, although we are going to be, I think, focusing on uh, something else uh, first. But yeah, we've been kind of mulling this around for quite a bit, how we're going to do this. And I, I just love what uh, what you've come up with here. Yeah, well, I, I think it's safe to say that we're going to start with, um, with something that is right in my wheelhouse, which is 1930s French cinema. Perfect. And so, it, of course, poetic realism is is going to be a big part of that, but we'll get into really everything. Uh, and it, we sort of have a map with uh, six episodes that, you know, we'll probably fine-tune those as we get closer. But that's probably going to start maybe in September, maybe maybe as early as August. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a I have a vacation where I'm going to spend some of the time up in a little city in Vermont. So Yeah, so, uh, some cool guy up there. Yeah, well, I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> uh, some guy up there, no, very cool guy. Uh, so, yeah, and, and in fact, we'll probably hash some of this out in person. But, yeah. uh, but you know, I, I think it's exciting, and it kind of gives gives us some direction to our uh, 
are looking at criterions. Uh, yeah, some. I, I think it's you know it's similar to I, with if you're a fan of Criterion, a fan of these films, you probably have a bit of an obsessive personality, and I, I think we're guilty that way. And so it's fun to delve into something this way, and like you said, it gives your viewing direction. So you, mm-hmm. it's um, takes the decision making out of the process if you know what to what you need to to do a bit. So I like it. I I can't wait. I think it's going to be fabulous. Yeah, and talking about film is one thing. It's a lot of fun, but I I do sort of you know I, I do like to get a little academic sometimes, and yeah. I like to do some research and 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 I think this is a good vehicle to do that sort of thing. So yeah, hopefully people enjoy it. We'd love people's feedback uh, on what films from that era to cover or what uh, what movements in the future. Of course, distant future, but because this yep. is going to be a, it'll be one episode per month for probably six months. Yep. Yep, so give, we'll, give or take, uh, you know, Christmas or whatever. Yeah, plenty of time for feedback there, and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's you know certainly would like to be be interested to s- see what people would like to delve into. Maybe it's something you've, as a listener, you've already delved into, or if you've been looking for an excuse to delve into, you know, give us some mm-hmm. feedback. Uh, feedback yeah. criterion close up uh, is probably the the best place via email, but uh, you, know, you can send us a tweet, uh, direct message, Facebook comment. You know, certainly want to hear your feedback on that. Yep, we'll get the tweets, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's where we get. Absolutely. So, yeah, looking forward to that. And uh, you know, lastly, for our opening here, we want, as we always do, we want to give some short takes. And uh, it's nice, Aaron, we actually happen to both see some uh, two of the same films this time. So Yeah, this will be a little different. It's We've both seen the same films. Well, one of them in the same week and uh, the other one a few weeks apart. Right. Uh, and they're both new films, too. And I think it's uh, it's nice to talk about new films. Actually, one could cr- come out on Criterion. Yeah. Possibly, I think. In fact, I'd, I'd say 75% chance is what I'm throwing out there. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would say so, too. So I, maybe both. But I, I, know, I know the first one we were going to talk about already has yeah. a, a Blu-ray release scheduled. So um, it's also coming out in the U.K., I think. Maybe artificial eye, but uh, the first one we were going to talk about is the Lobster. This is the 2016 film, at least uh, for a U.S. release, um, f- finally coming out uh, officially in the U.S. from uh, director Yorgos and Lentimos. Uh, by the way, it is out in the U.K. and um, and if you didn't uh, pick up on it, they had some distributor problems earlier in the year. I, I think I, I forget the specifics, but I think the distributor went out of business. So, but the UK DVD was already coming out. So I, I pre-ordered. I've actually had it a few months and just watched it a, a few weeks ago. Nice. Um, yeah. But now, now it's out here, and uh, finally, I can talk about it with with people. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's out in theaters. I was kind of surprised. Uh, it did come locally here, so I did get to check it out uh, just this week. And uh, it, people probably know he, he's best known for. Dogtooth, uh, which was on the, I believe was on the short list or one of the top five. I think it actually made the um, the top five for uh, foreign language films the year that it was released, which I think it was 2009, if I remember. And um, I, th- he also I think had... it won the Palm, Palm Door, didn't it? Did it? Okay. I can't or, no, not the Palm Door, but it won, it won some can award. Yeah. Uh, we can look it up. But, but yeah. regard or something like that. But Yeah, I, th- I think that was it. Um, it was yeah nominated for an Oscar, um, so yeah, good, good film. I I did you did you see Dogtooth? I haven't. I actually own the D- DVD, and it's uh, I'm pointing at it right now. Mm. Uh, it's on my top of my queue because of this one. Yeah, uh, 
from Greece. Oh, that's right. I was trying to remember what country he was from. He's from he's from Greece. He's I, I like the film a lot, and I think you'll see some definite parallels to Lobster. Uh, should mention to uh, Alps his second film after it's not really a second film, but his film after Dogtooth is available still on Prime. It was on Netflix, so I've got to oh, cool. check that one out. But the Lobster, it's it's a another. I guess in this case. You could almost say that Dogtooth is like a, an alternate reality, but the lobster is a dystopian near future um, where single people, according to the laws of the city, they go to the hotel and they must find a romantic partner in 45 days or they are transformed into beasts and sent off into the woods. So I was I was I was hoping you would just off the cuff try to give the synopsis uh, because it's when <laughs> it's you give so the crazy. synopsis it's it, it's really tough to describe the and you know you think dystopian hotel yeah, it looks like just any other hotel it does although there is a I, there is a bit of a shining um, I don't know oh, <laughs> definitely one one scene where I was expecting uh, some a couple a couple of twins to ask me if I wanted to come play with them but. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, so. What did you think of the lobster? I'm curious, especially since it's your first Lanthimos, I believe. It is, and yeah, and only at this at this point. Uh, I actually really really enjoyed it. Uh, now, uh, what's funny is when we saw the other movie, and uh, I'll spoil I, I'll spoil five minutes from now. But uh, the other movie is Love and Friendship, mm-hmm. and since we're talking about Whit Stillman, that's a good fit. But the, the lobster was playing in the same theater. And so before Love and Friendship, they, they came in and introduced the film, which they do at this indie theater. Oh, cool. And they referenced the other film, and they tried to give the synopsis. <laughs> uh, and, of course, the people, and, and they said, now, this film, that film is about the po- polar opposite, and it's high art. And uh, um, and people were laughing at the girl talking and, and t- what it was about. And I actually, I think they probably got the wrong idea. <laughs> That it's you know kind of a lark, but uh, yeah. no, it's it's very artistic, very uh, actually you know it's humoristic, but it's dark, uh, mm-hmm. edgy, and uh, and and you know there's I, there's a lot of deeper meanings about uh, relationships and uh, the the idea of connecting with somebody and how difficult that is and uh, sure. and how when you try to force it uh, things you know you trying to find a common trait and there boom that there you go in uh, whether it's a real or, uh, um, I guess, manufactured connection, yeah. In, contrasted with uh, just organically meeting somebody. Uh, so I, yeah, I think it's actually very maturely handles relationships and and speaks more towards today and and the connections or the the difficulty with connections, uh, and a very creative world. Uh, yes. I think that, uh, gotta give prop. I. I I don't know the Lanthimos very well, but it seems like this is par for the course that you have to meet him on his terms and uh, get into his world. Is yeah. that accurate? Yeah, I, I definitely. I, I think um, this film, I could see it putting people off, and I could see Dogtooth putting people off too. I, I think when we first watched it, I don't know, somehow I was on the wavelength of that film and this film right away. Uh, he just kind of, I, I don't know, I, I, I get kind of where he is at. It's interesting. He's, it is a dark comedy. Uh, there is some violence in different mm-hmm. ways in the films, which is, a, which is interesting. Uh, there was a moment in, uh, actually went to go see this with my friend Keith Silva, where there's a, a violent image that, where he was the only one in the film laughing. And uh, we, we got some mileage out of that on, uh, oh, on no. Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I Did joked it involve that, animals? Yep. 
Oh, Keith. Yep. Oh, we're we're going to have to talk. <laughs> I don't th- he couldn't help himself and uh, but you know it's it's one of the it and it was one of the things where I again I, I don't want to give too much away but he that is kind of a theme in uh Lanthimos's films having to do with animals. Hmm. So um, yeah, I, and I'm with you too. I think his commentary on relationships is very apt. I, I kind of took a bit of it where um, it's it's almost it's almost two films where in the beginning you know you spend time in the hotel and later you are outside and I, I kind of wanted to get back to the hotel at first, mm-hmm. um, which probably isn't you know that much of a surprise. But I, I think you do get a sense of. Um, where there are the merits of being with someone. I think he also covers the merits of having some time to yourself and being alone and why we need uh, both of those. Um, right, so. yeah. I think that, uh, and the acting is stilted, mm-hmm. but it's intentionally stilted. Uh, when, uh, what's her name, uh, Leah Sado, Sado uh, the, the blue is warmest color, and I think she's going to be in a Bond film, or, or was in a Bond film, I, I can't keep up. I haven't seen Spectre, so maybe she was in that. I, don't, I can't remember. Um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, she, I, I, when she came on screen, she had very stilted dialogue, and I thought, wow, she just can't act in English. But then when I watched a behind-the-scenes uh, little feature and her talking about the film, she sounds just fun, very expressive in English. But the thing is, that's just, I think, his the directorial style is... Right. And you know, we see that from Fer, uh, Firth, uh, Farrell and um, and Vise as well. You know, they're very monotone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Vise is a little more expressive overall. But I, I think the person, the actor that got it uh, the best was uh, Colin Farrell. I think he's just agree. fabulous in this film. He just gets every tick and nuance and the timing of what uh, Lanthimos is going for. It's it's not surprising. I mean, having seen him in some other films, and my favorite by him is still uh, in Bruges, I think. Um, different kind that, of comedy, yeah. but yeah. Very you different. You could see how, how, it, how it, uh, it would work, so... Yeah. And he does sing a uh, Nick Cave song, which I think is pretty awesome. I don't know if you're a Nick Cave fan, but Definitely. that's a, another dark uh, musician. Uh, very, very fitting song. Yeah, very uh, prominent soundtrack to a lot of lot of uh, classical kind of dissonant. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think some of them. I, I know there's some by some Russian uh, composers like uh, Shostakovich. That uh, yeah, it's very just. You know, I, I think it's meant to put you on edge and not uh, quite be in tune with uh, with what's well, maybe not in tune with what's going on the screen, but just uh, you know, put you on edge. It's not a soothing uh, classical score by yeah. any means. So, so what animal would you choose? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. Um, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday. I'm going to go with the whale because uh, I want to. I'd want to live for a while, and I'd want to be able to see both the. Um, you know what's above the water, but spend some time in the a world that I haven't spent a lot of time in in uh, the underwater. Kind of explore that other world. Okay. So, yeah. How about you? Uh, I don't know. Maybe a, like a leopard or something, uh, a cheetah, some some wild cat. Where just because you're fast and you have that instinctual survival, I think yep. you need it for that world. Um, yep. Pretty high in the not, food chain. Would yep. not go lobster. Just personally, I think that's a bad choice. <laughs> Crustaceans off off the books. Off. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. People uh, people or love to, to to eat crustaceans. So yeah, I don't know how long you'd you'd really last. But yeah. interesting anyway, choice. I, I so you like the movie, right? Definitely. Yeah, me, I'm me I'm on board with this with with him. I can't can't wait to see what else he does. I was a little worried because we've been waiting for it for so long. There's been a lot of buzz. 
and I was afraid to be let down. But um, yeah, it's yeah about that. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, sometimes expectations can kind of uh, work against you, mm-hmm. which I think is a pretty good segue. Yep, it is to uh, <laughs> the next film. Uh, LNF, Love and Friendship, the latest from our director of note today, uh, Whit Stillman, um, just came out uh, this year. Um, been talking about it really, I think, for a little while. Uh, it is, yeah, June 3rd, 2016, sort of based on a novella from Jane Austen and uh, also uh, written by Whit Stillman. Apparently is based on the, instead of, uh, from what I understand, the novella is really based on letters. Um, that uh, that she had oh. written. And, Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yep. Stars Kate Beckinsale and uh, Chloe Savigny, I believe the is how you pronounce her last name, from uh, our stars from Last Days of Disco he worked with in 1998. Um, a few other folks. I'm not really that familiar with most of the other actors. Of course, do know Stephen Fry, but there's uh, Tom Bennett, um, I'm not going to try to pronounce the first name of uh, Frederica, who plays her, the daughter of Lady <laughs> Susan. Um, so, but yeah, it's interesting film. Uh, it's about uh, mainly about Lady Vernon, uh, Susan Vernon. She takes up a residence in her outlaws. Or her outlaws. <laughs> this isn't this isn't a cowboy film or a western film. Uh, in her in-laws' estate, and uh, she's determined <laughs> to be a match. Oh, it could be. Uh, determined to be a matchmaker so yeah um what did you think i mean what do you think of this one well okay let me first preface this with maybe i'm spoiled by home media the home media experience mm. where you can control everything you have uh, you know you you can go to the bathroom you can pause it you can turn the volume you don't have to worry about people around you but mm-hmm. I, I think my experience was somewhat compromised by the the theatrical experience we we went in and uh, and and people were late, which is annoying. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and and you know I, I can understand being late for the credits, but people were actually late for the movie and you know uh, getting hung up in the aisles and yelling, calling for their husband to help them get through. Jeez, oh, that's distracting. Especially well, and the thing is, for this, you need mm-hmm. to pay attention at the beginning, so that's right. tough. And then we had and one of the there were a couple couples or a few couples that came in late, and one of them was in our aisle. And we it was the loudest popcorn eater in the world. Oh, it's and worse. He, he made his popcorn last for like an hour. Uh, and in fact, my wife <laughs> and I were like, both. Could you please just get through your popcorn? <laughs> we were both looking at him, and when he finished, I kind of under my breath said, "Thank God." <laughs> and and it, <laughs> my wife kind of laughed a little bit, and then then he started chewing ice. <laughs> and oh no, yeah, terrible for your teeth. I, I would not recommend it. Um, and another thing, this is this is a two two theater cinema, and one of them is a modern theater, and the other one is not. And the modern theater theater was playing the Lobster, which just opened, and so this was relegated to the smaller theater, and it's a little quieter. And and I'm I, I listen to a lot of loud music in my my day, so I I couldn't really pick up on the dialogue, especially when Beckinsale was talking. I don't know why she was a little softer, or, or mm. maybe just her accent. I so I I missed a lot of the exposition. Um, and of mm. course, no subtitles. That's another thing you can do at home. I think I, I would have. Right. In fact, uh, uh, Stillman movies, I love the dialogue. And so I love watching with subtitles. Agreed. Absolutely. Because they're so talky. So, see, so yeah, my, my take is probably I, I got to give it an, another shot. Yeah. Um, a little disappointed. I, I thought it was just um, 
a little dry. I thought it was a little talky. Uh, and I, I thought it was a little predictable too. Uh, hmm. Some of the, like one of the characters I liked, uh, it, it kind of became a cliche and, uh, and at first was funny, but then became silly and oh, a little yeah. unrealistic. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I don't want to get too into it. And, and then, uh, Chloe, I thought it was seven. Yay. But Savini, Savigny, I don't know. Yeah. She, just didn't really have a, a a good purpose to be. She was almost like a transitional character to, you know, really between the the acts to to set Lady Susan on a certain course. Yeah. And actually, I, I found myself tuning out every time she was on screen. Um, and she was American too, which, uh, and I don't, I, I have no idea if if the the Austin play if if how much is you know, the same. I don't. Yeah. What do you think? Are you on board with this or? Yeah, I I I had similar kind of reactions. I think uh, initially to I certainly could have used. I mean, I I didn't pay as much attention. I and I'm guilty of this sometimes, uh, of following along or paying attention early on because there's a lot given at the beginning uh, of the characters. Some nice you know underlining of who the characters are, and it's it's very funny. Um, but mm-hmm. I you know I kept up at first and then kind of missed some as I tend to drift sometimes so I, I miss that um, but I'm with you I think it needs with his dialogue he like you said he has great dialogue I think uh, uh, some subtitles would be nice uh, and I'm with you on Savigny I just I wasn't uh, on board with uh, what she was showing unfortunately I, I thought I felt like it worked more in last days of disco she seemed kind of similar in that film yeah yeah but it seemed to to work better in that although i would say i think kate beckinsale is just absolutely glowing in this film and completely uh engaging i liked her quite a bit uh it maybe got a little old but (laughs) i think i was you know on board with with what she was selling and i'm with you i think my favorite character by far uh well other than um you know, Lady Susan is the the, the character you're mentioning. I, I just loved when um I I'll just mention him. Uh, Sir James Martin came on screen. Uh, that first scene I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he he's someone who doesn't fit in, and I just uh, I loved him for it. Um, so um, yeah, but I mean otherwise, I think and I did mention paying attention to the beginning. I again I, I swear I've compared directors a lot too and this is going to come up later probably too but to Wes Anderson but I, I think mm-hmm. you can't help but uh, think of him when, with a film like especially like this where the uh, um, he's got a he's he, his frame is well composed although the camera doesn't move uh, as much and it's not as uh, showy I think as Wes Anderson but you know with the beginning where you're shown all the characters uh, with subtitles and a bit about the characters and subtitles I did like that you yeah know, it's uh, it's good but it's also you know I think is is kind of uh, Wes Anderson-y yeah I could, I could see that and, and I think that would actually pay off on a second viewing too once yep. you've yeah so so yeah I, I if it comes out on Criterion I, I probably won't buy the uh, the whatever studio DVD that I think has already been announced I believe uh, but I think I would definitely look into their treatment and give it another shot. And and actually, I think with Stillman films are uh, benefit from revisitation anyway. Yep. yep. Again, um, another another Wes Anderson thing. Yeah. They just yeah, they get yeah. better. You know, you can keep up with the dialogue and yeah, certainly. So, so right now, I'm I'm not quite singing with the choir, but I think some of it might be me. Some of it might be my theater. <laughs> yeah, and, that's uh, tough. I mean, it's I it's really hard to. Uh, I mean, there there are some things about the theater experience not to go on 
about that too much, but you know, like you said, we do watch a lot of movies at home with Criterion releases, and it's tough to go to a theater and have that kind of experience that really distracts you and takes you away from the theater experience because I know that's how mm-hmm. movies are meant to be seen. So that's tough. We didn't have that same experience. We had a pretty quiet uh, theater, and uh, it was actually a date night for my wife and I. We hadn't had for a while, so we um, enjoyed it. I don't think she was quite as on board with this film as some of the others. Uh, she she'd been on okay. the the Stillman Bender with me, uh, and I, I think she liked you know something like Metropolitan uh, better. Um, but you know, hmm. again, revisits. And re- regarding the theatrical experience, if it had been Civil Captain America's Civil War, uh, that probably wouldn't have been as much of a factor because the the <laughs> film itself would drown all that so out. So loud, yeah. But a quiet period piece film like this, uh, yeah, it's it's tough to um tough to get around or not pay attention to the um the people talking and yeah, it mm-hmm. it, it was uh, pretty rough. Uh, so yeah, I, I I do go to theaters somewhat often, more than the average p- person, but uh, that's why I sometimes just wait. Yep, yep. So popcorn. All right, shall we do some limbo? <laughs> yeah, let's do the. Uh, <laughs> or let's do the limbo. We do Pennsylvania six five thousand. Which one do you want to do? Uh, I, I like the Pennsylvania six five thousand. Let's uh, let's maybe we can stand up and do some some leg kicks, kind of like you Ted are does. Boring. In the <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Welcome back to Criterion Close-Up. I am Mark Kearney, and I'm here with Aaron West, and we are dancing to Pennsylvania 6500. Is that how you say it? 6500? Wait for it. Pennsylvania 65000. Nice. Uh, Yeah. uh, Doesn't this say a little bit about the character? You know, the guy dancing by himself to Glenn Miller? My father-in-law is a huge Glenn Miller fan. Oh, really? <laughs> and he's 86. Yep. That says something. He, he goes, to, there's a touring band that plays, and, and actually we, we met him once, and I thought about going <laughs> just to, you know, bond with my father-in-law, but sure. um, but I didn't. I, I think I, we, we saw like five minutes of it, and uh, hmm. I, extremely talented. Not Not my scene. Yeah, yeah. I, I could I can listen to it, but I, I wouldn't be getting up and doing leg kicks uh, by myself <laughs> for sure, and not in front of other people either. I should say not my generation, and uh, yeah. and yeah, and a, a child, a twenty something in the eighties. I don't think a lot of people. I think the cool kids were listening to, you know, Duran Duran or right or the, the hair Cure, metal, hair metal, uh, maybe <laughs> well, those the Clash, cool you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> or or you know, disco. I don't know if it's before or after the last days, but it was around. Yeah, yeah, early on. So, yeah. Well, this is, of course, we're talking about uh, Barcelona, the Whit Stillman film, the recent release from the Criterion Collection, uh, spy number 807. This came out in 1994. Um, This is one where uh, he really fulfilled the trilogy uh, from Criterion. This was the the second in the trilogy, but really the third is my understanding um, in chronological uh, order. So he, this film came after Metropolitan. That was his breakthrough. It's about a pair of preppy preppy yet unconstitutionally mismatched 
American cousins. That's per criterion. So as a Pre- salesman and a naval preppery officer. Preppery works. <laughs> they, they are rather preppery. Preppery. <laughs> uh, they like to argue about romance and politics while working in the beautiful Spanish city of the film's title. Um, set during the 80s, speaking of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it get, touches on American exceptionalism, Cold War foreign, foreign policy. We'll talk about that a bit. And uh, it is, I guess you'd call it hilarious, uh, the ins and outs of international dating and proper shaving methods. So, Aaron, I have to ask you first, do you shave uh, with a grain or against the grain? <laughs> well, as it turns out, I just, I, I've been wielding a beard for the last year, and I actually just shaved it yesterday. Um, but You're looking by- mighty fine, by the way. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, purely by coincidence, uh, and I, I just kind of hacked the beard off, and then, um, and I'll have to, I'll be shaving it again, you know, back to that routine. So, did but you I, shave with the grain or against the grain? I do it down, and then <laughs> I, I shave with the grain first, and then I shave against the grain. Smart, nice, yeah. double coverage. Yeah. Sometimes uh, I, there's some consequences there. Sometimes that that last uh, that last go over. Yeah, you know, it takes some skin with it, but mm, mm-hmm. uh, of course nobody wants that. But yeah, I, I don't know what is the right way. I have no idea. I think it, towards the end or one of the supplements, they say that it's you're supposed to do it with the grain, but I have no idea. Hmm. I'm an electric shaver myself because I, I'm not a hairy man, so I can get away with using the electric shaver, um, and I just kind of I go in circles, circular. Oh, okay. Yeah, you are a hairy man. You are not a hairy man. Not a hairy I actually, man. I actually am quite a hairy man. Uh, so there you go, listeners. <laughs> I'm sure they wanted to to know that. It's an American werewolf, and uh... <laughs> no, that's not. Uh, yeah, people have referred to me as Powder uh, before. People ever seen the movie Powder? That's a I sure have apt comparison. So I can't I can't see it. So this film uh, well, stars Taylor Nichols, uh, Chris Eigeman, and Mira Sorvino. Did I get Eigeman? Eigeman? Eigeman, I believe. Eigeman, thank you. And a couple of uh, Mira Sorvino, I understand, that her first and only time in a Stillman film. But, of course, we saw Nichols and uh, Eigeman in Metropolitan and Eigeman and, again in and disco, Last Days yeah. of Disco. So. I- I thought T- Nichols was in that as was well. He in there wasn't he? too. He might have been. I. It was funny. I, I saw him and I didn't recognize him in Barcelona after you know having seen him in uh, Metropolitan. Just for whatever reason, didn't stand out. Different character, I guess. But yeah. So we thought we'd really set this up a bit with. Uh, we wanted to talk about Whit Stillman uh, more, kind of setting him up, and uh, I'm sure we'll bring his other films into the discussion a bit. But um, a bit of symmetry too, uh, you know, as far as Whit Stillman goes, he is a. Um, I believe it was his um, father, uh, which is John Sterling. I thought this was interesting. Served as a assistant secretary of commerce uh, under President uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, who was also. And he was a classmate of uh, Stillman's father at Harvard. Of course, uh, mm-hmm. folks may know from some of the supplements that uh, Stillman also went to to Harvard. Uh, he did work as a, an editor um, at, at uh, Doubleday and also a junior editor at uh, a political um, periodical, I believe it is, the American Splendor. So, and he was—it's um, interesting. He does have a an influence from. Uh, some of his life because he was uh, he was introduced to some film producers in Madrid when he was working there, um, and he I, I think the the film of Metropolitan is also um, really semi autobiographical about his when he lived in uh, New York in Manhattan 
and uh, lived with uh, his mother uh, during the time. So um, mm-hmm. I kind of see his films. I, I should mention, too, something I did note, um, The Guardian had kind of compared him to uh, Terrence Malick just in how much, uh, how many films he's produced because, you know, he, he really took a bit of a break. He put out this trilogy uh, in... Um, what was Metropolitan was 92, 94, uh, f- I think it was 92, 94 for Barcelona, 98 for Last Days of Disco, and then he took a break until 2011 uh, with Damsels in Distress, and of course this year with, uh, you know, with um, Love and Friendship. But, you know, I, I don't know if you could really make any other comparisons other than that. Um, I don't, you know, maybe, you know, you did talk about the expectations and maybe you uh, some viewers may kind of overestimate achievement was one of the things that the guardian uh, had said when comparing stillman and malik i don't know if you can really uh, really go there but um, yeah i am happy i'm happy he's back uh, i'll just put that out there sure and so. i could not see stillman putting a dinosaur in the middle of one of his films <laughs> but uh yeah who knows did, yeah. yeah jane austen is something uh, i wouldn't expect right uh, one thing that that's commonly um, brought up when you talk about Stillman is his Harvard education, mm-hmm. and and I'm guilty of that I, I you know Harvard educated you know because he has that preppy vibe uh, in his films, but actually I think after watching the supplements of this one and hearing him talk, I think that's a little unfair and a little narrow, uh, and I'm indicting myself on this. I, I think there's a little more nuance. Sure. And you know people that happen to go to Harvard, they're not just you know. They're not, they're not just in that category of Harvard graduates. I'm, of course, they are, but uh, but yeah, they're, they're also they can be down to earth. And I think uh, actually that we see some of that in his films. That, uh, that the other side, especially the last last two in this trilogy. Yeah. But but with these three films, I, I think they're they're all sort of autobiographical, autobiographical in yep. a sense uh, because Metropolitan you have that preppy tuxedo socialite uh, aspect. Barcelona, you know, he does, he, his wife is Spanish, or I, I think they're still married, but he did marry a girl that he met over in Spain, and, uh, and this is very much, uh, relates his experiences there in the 80s. And then Disco, I, I don't know if he's a Disco fan, or if he was in that scene, but the uh, the characters do work in the, the book publishing industry, so you, you could almost see this Whit Stillman trilogy as Whit Stillman's personality trilogy. I, I think... You know, they say write what you know, and I, right. I think that he definitely did. And and I I'd say this for me at least is his best work. These three pictures, as as of yet. Although I think some people would say Love and Friendship is right up there too. Yeah, uh, yeah, interesting filmmaker. Very different, I think, than than most uh, most indies. Even different than Baumbach and Wes Anderson, and definitely yeah. Malick. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's got his his own his own voice. I I I, I did note. Um, watching his films, I like how he is able to kind of make fun of himself, or at least the people you know around him. Um, you know, but I, I think I think he does kind of poke fun at himself a bit. I think people, as a viewer, you can appreciate that. I mean, it's easier, and I, I think a, a little bit better to make fun of yourself rather than just pointing the finger uh, at others. Um, so it's a nice thing that he did. He does. Um, I like how. He mentions, too, that the audience needs to kind of pay attention to his dialogue or it will seem like the film is about a whole lot of nothing. (laughs) And, you know, I thought about that with Love and Friendship. I was thinking, you know, if you're not paying attention, like I said early on and listening to the dialogue, you're going to miss a lot um, of what the characters are. And you'll find yourself just constantly trying to to keep up. And 
you know, on the flip side of that is, like you said, it's going to re- reward repeat viewings because mm-hmm. uh, you know the overall conceit of the film and kind of pick up some additional, um, you know, dialogue and uh, funny bits. So, yeah. And, and yeah, uh, back back to the Harvard thing, which I just <laughs> said is not fair, mm-hmm. but, uh, but he is smart and he does write concise, witty uh, dialogue that you don't, you wouldn't hear a lot of people speak. But I, I think you're right, and I think he does sort of make fun of himself, and he does make fun of the the, the young, educated elite, which he sure. was undoubtedly a member, and maybe still is, even though he's you know he's a little older than us now. Uh, actually, I don't know. Is he in his fifties, sixties? I don't know. But I have uh, to look him up. He's yeah, a little older, but uh, fifty two. He was born. Okay, so yeah, a, a generation above 64, us. Sixty four. Yep. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he's he's talented. It came up during the the indie wave of the '90s, and uh, thank you, you know, Soderbergh and Tarantino for, uh, and well, maybe not Tarantino as much, but uh, well, yeah, no, actually, I'd say Tarantino because Metropolitan was '92, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. That 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 makes sense. Um, Giving people breaks. Yeah, he does. Uh, Spike Lee, I think, is uh, mentioned oh. on, on the the Dick Dick Cavett show too. Um, the interesting name that was brought up, Criterion Connection, is Cassavetes. Although you know, seems like Cassavetes didn't, you know, completely catch on like uh, Spike Lee and uh, mm-hmm. Soderbergh, and of course, uh, Whit Stillman. I, I'm curious, you know, how popular uh, he he is. I mean, it's um, of course taking a a break like that, but I I, I like Stillman? how yeah. Yeah, I, I like how he's, you know, this may even be seen as kind of a, a resurgence for him, too. You know, bringing his trilogy uh, from the 90s back into the consciousness with uh, this Criterion release and, you know, maybe a future Criterion release from Love and Friendship, you know, in the 2016. Yeah. And the box set, too. I, yeah. He de- he definitely, I mean, he's not as big as Wes Anderson by any stretch. Right. Uh, but, and he has his detractors. I, I think he is... In fact, when when we announced that we were going to do this show, I, I think somebody tweeted. Uh, <laughs> oh, great! <laughs> uh, yeah, was very offended that we would do uh, with Stillman. Um, yeah, he he definitely has his anti fans, uh, his yep. his haters. Uh, but yeah, I'd say he, he does have a, a niche audience that uh, that loves him, and and that's how he mm-hmm. you know these still sell. These do belong on Criterion. I think it's very fair for them to be here. Absolutely, uh, smart films. You know, quick dialogue. Yeah, I'm glad he's working again. I. I it, not to belabor love and friendship, uh, I, I did wonder how much of that was Austin and how much of that was Stillman. Yeah, and I, and it it is it, when you compare it to this trilogy, it it does stand out as being a lot different. Not just because it's British, uh, period. You know, uh, yeah, it it is different. So I'm curious what direction he goes from here, or and how long. Yeah, <laughs> might, I wonder when might the be next five years. <laughs> yeah, the next film, maybe his film, his next film, like you. Uh, alluded to maybe it'll be a dinosaur film we'll see maybe <laughs> although i i think he takes his time yeah. I, I don't think it's because of a lack of demand and, and opportunities i think he's established enough to where he could make a film every couple of years but it's it seems like he only makes a film and i i don't have any insight into his brain and haven't read a lot of interviews but he probably just makes a film when he has something to say right and and i, I got to respect that yeah yeah, he does tend to uh, write his films. It is uh, different that Love and Friendship was, you know, based on at least some material from uh, from Jane Austen. I wonder if he'll, you know, uh, stick with that or 
uh, go away from it. I, I would say, you know, uh, I think Love and Friendship seems to be doing pretty well. I don't know how it compares to, mm-hmm. um, you know, how his other films have done. But, you know, even though he's been out of the limelight for a little while, uh, he's certainly popular. Uh, I mean, I, I know, like, locally, some of the local films, kind of independent films that come locally, sometimes they'll just last a week. But this one, you know, our theater had quite a few people in it, and I think he's mm-hmm. um, certainly in the consciousness. Well, as an independent director in the 90s, these films were, well, I know Metropolitan especially was a, a surprise success. And I mm-hmm. think Barcelona was a moderate success too. I, I don't yeah, remember. it took like, I think I'd seen like it was like $2 million and it made like eight. So it was a success. Okay. Uh, I think only Damsels was um, did not make its, uh, its budget back. And I think that they've lived on as, uh, I think, they don't they age well these mm-hmm. these films I, I think watching them today actually I, I think watching Barcelona today is extremely relevant to to modern times so yeah which I think we, we can get into <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah so you alluded to it Aaron I mean it is uh, appropriate for today there are some politics uh, that come into play in this film um I mean Spain is a, a bit of a, a character somewhere that he had spent some Stillman had spent some time uh, this does take place during the the Cold War and uh, kind of come back to some some thoughts on why I think it's especially appropriate uh, today but uh, yeah I want to kick it to you to talk about the politics a little bit first uh, sure uh, briefly uh, because I haven't exactly done a dissertation on uh, 80s Spanish politics but I <laughs> uh, but I, I do know that it was a hotbed of activity, uh, and, mm. and and actually that's one thing that came out in the features. I didn't realize how much was directed towards Americans, but apparently quite a bit. Uh, uh, Spain had gone through a, a Basque conflict for many, many years, and I think that there had been some uh, some separatist groups that were active during the period, and uh, and maybe a little bit of uh, leftist sympathizers, and of course, if 80s was uh, Reagan politics in America, the, the, the Iron Curtain, very anti-Cold War. And so there was uh, a lot of anti-Americanism in Spain, and, and that did materialize in some, some uh, violent uh, behavior. Uh, actually, I, I thought the, the ant uh, analogies, there were, there were two ant analogies. One was giving, given by, uh, by Fred and Ted, which mm-hmm. were Nichols and Eigemann. Uh And then the other one was given by the consul... Uh, Get his name. Um, he was the consul, and he—that's towards the end of the movie, and and he kind of his analogy with the ants makes more sense in that, and uh, that it's it's more about the, a foreign's perception of America and seeing them through the glass. They they can't really see the individuals; they just see the ant farm, so to speak. I'm, I'm sure. mi- probably misremembering, but it was it actually did uh, make you think about how these foreign cultures see us. Yeah. Let me use an analogy. The United States is like an enormous ant farm. Oh, God, not ants. An ant farm is a see-through plastic case enclosing an ant colony. It's a toy sold to children so they can watch ants build their own little societies inside. I think the U.S. is sort of like the ant farm for the rest of the world. But people are living in other countries can't observe the ants directly. They must rely on journalists and commentators for a description of everything going on inside. The problem is that these people all seem to hate ants. I don't want to get too into our politics today, but we do have a presidential race with two unpopular presidents, and one of which I think internationally it's safe to say is extremely unpopular. Yeah. And you kind of wonder how people are looking at our ant farm today. That's and right. <laughs> whereas yeah. individually, if they met you and I, they probably might not, you know, this guy does not represent, you know, they're not the 
fat, arrogant, uh, uh, ignoramuses that uh, that they might think we are. But uh, Co- Coca Cola drinking, Walmart shopping, ignoramuses. Yeah, it's right, um, right. it's, and I shouldn't generalize, but yeah, I, it, it was one of the things that came out in the commentary too. I think it's interesting too. It's you know important reason to, to travel, I guess, or at least get a um, you know if you can't don't have the means to travel to get a sense of the the rest of the world that was one of the things they mentioned when they were uh, filming in Barcelona how you know reading the periodicals and just getting a view of what uh, folks from other countries think of Americans it's you know certainly eye-opening because uh, mm-hmm. I think we have our preconceived notions of other countries and of course you know other countries certainly. have their notions about us so yeah I, I think our perception is skewed, and without living there and, and understanding a nationality, we can't understand it, or we can't really uh, uh, comprehend how they uh, how they believe. And it is just a collection of individuals that uh, you know. They the whole idea of nationalism is well. I'm not going to get into <laughs> borders and border right. disputes, but uh, yeah, it, it is it is a little awry. And it's same here. Yeah, same with them seeing us. It's. Uh, we traveled to France during the the Bush administration during the whole war uh, mm-hmm. and and sentiment. We saw protests uh, actually in in England. We saw protests about uh, against their uh, activity uh, in in the war. So it, yeah, it's a large world, and we're just a small part of it. That's right. Yeah, I so. I, I liked. Uh, I thought it was you know kind of tying it to uh, today, where in. I don't want to generalize too much, but it does seem like there is some, uh, you know, terrorist activities uh, are a little more prevalent in Europe than they are here in America. I just, you know, from uh, I, I think out of maybe just as uh, as access. So, mm-hmm. and you see that early on in the film. I, I like how it, it's juxtaposed with this happy, upbeat music, and you're seeing the, you know, yeah. the, the bombs um, going off. It's uh, you know, nice, uh, nicely done. But I do think of it that way, where um, you know, you have it's just again more prevalent in uh, Europe. I think it's even more of a concern there, although we seem to talk about it so much here uh, in America. Yeah, you have this beautiful establishment shot of uh, mm-hmm. a couple of uh, shots uh, showing historic Spain, this beautiful city, and uh, and then boom, boom, bomb. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And also back to the American thing. I think the characters in this one are more reflect what people didn't like about America. And I think the the irony, and and I think Stillman is does a great job of capturing this, is that the anti-Americanism, what they were seeing in that ant farm, was the the that was these two characters. The the, the negative aspects of America could be seen in the the character development. So I, I especially especially Eigemann. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's great. I love the guy. But, oh yeah. Um, yeah, he's 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 great in every uh, every every one of these films. It's a good transition. We should talk about them a bit. Uh, um, you know, curious what you thought of the the actors and how they compared to. We could kind of compare even to to other roles, but you know, how did their relationship work between the two of them? Uh, were you invested with this? I mean, it's a different. We're seeing a familial you know relationship, really two guys kind of playing off each other versus. Uh, more of a mix, I think, in Metropolitan, mm-hmm. although it does kind of tend towards two male characters again, and then you've got uh, two female characters, especially in you know Last Days of Disco. So what do you think of uh, this relationship and the, the acting, Aaron? Yeah, and and also in Disco, the the male characters were more of an ensemble, 
Whereas yeah. this is this is more of a buddy film. Uh, well, I don't know if they would buddy or non buddy or yeah call themselves buddies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what the, the, on the third day uh, they start to stink. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Guess, I love that. Uh, it, yeah. And he's like, no, on the first day we we stink. <laughs> uh, and I think in in this case it definitely was the first day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think actually this is probably the best showcase for their talents. And and these are two actors, Taylor Nichols and Chris Eigeman, very much indie staples, very much in. Stillman stable, uh, yep. you know. I think if you really want to see their them their chops, you have to see a, a Stillman movie. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, they've done done a lot of TV work. Uh, I, I think actually, I'm, they've been they've been able to work, and that says a lot uh, in this industry. But I'm actually kind of surprised that they haven't been more successful than than they they could have been. I, I think Eigenman especially uh, could have done a, a little better. But because uh, I know he did some TV shows, I haven't seen. He did uh, Gilmore Girls and. Did you do Malcolm in the Middle? Oh, I don't know. I, I haven't seen either, so I, I don't know. I'm, uh, uh, not, I'm not much of a TV guy. I miss out on a lot. but Yeah. But I'll, one thing in the commentary, uh, Stillman said he likes to cast with type, which I think is interesting in the mm. respect of these two. Because I could, you could see that uh, these, two char- these two actors in all three movies kind of do play a similar role. Similar role, for sure. Especially Eigenman. He mm-hmm. does play the narcissistic... Uh, uh, egocentric, uh, arrogant, uh, but intelligent guy that, uh, mm-hmm. without self, self-awareness, uh, yeah, he's almost political, uh, in, in, you know, trying to get people to kind of come around to his, the, the way, his way of thinking, I'm thinking about, uh, metropolitan, especially, you know, he's mm-hmm. like a, he's like a politician in some ways, yeah. but his, and, and he, he's convinced of his, be his righteousness. Uh, and right. even when he's, he, he can talk about the graduates ending and he, spoilers for the graduates ending. If you, cause I'm, I'm probably going to insert a clip here, but, uh, the, the thing is the graduate is a popular film. I, I love this scene, but yeah. it's, it, it's such a popular film. And, and, you know, of course we're supposed to identify with the, the characters with uh, Ben and, uh, what's her name? Uh, Elaine. Oh, Elaine. Yeah. Elaine. We're, how can I forget that for a moment? <laughs> Whereas he has this completely different take, and and he's he just sees it as uh, unrealistic. And you know we hashed that out in the graduate episode, and maybe it was, but that doesn't take away from the sentiment. Uh, not a sentimental guy, mm. very snarky, uh, not kind of a hater, I'd say. Didn't you see the graduate? You can re- can re- remember the graduate? Yeah, I can remember a few things. Apparently, you don't. The end. Catherine Ross has just married this really cool guy, tall, blonde, incredibly popular, the makeout king of his fraternity in Berkeley, when this obnoxious Dustin Hoffman character shows up at the back of the church and starts pounding on the glass, acting like a total asshole. Elaine! Elaine! Does Catherine Ross tell Dustin Hoffman, get lost, creep, I'm a married woman? No. She runs off with him on a bus. Yeah. Yeah, I, that it, it, is the reality. It amazes me that anyone would really uh, fall in love they do in last days of disco um <laughs> other than maybe his his uh prop trying to get into the the club maybe but well in, in disco he was the the character that pretended to be homosexual to get out of relationships wasn't <laughs> he so yeah, yeah a bit of a knave uh, yeah that was great he's so good at it though yeah and and he was also in um uh, it's worth mentioning in uh, the bomb back uh kicking and screaming mm, i haven't seen that okay oh uh, yeah nice. sh- sh- i'd see it it's I, I wouldn't put it up there with these three. I, uh, I, I'd, well, I, I need to revisit Metropolitan, but it's definitely a, a worthwhile indie 90s. 
It's on Criterion DVD, and um, yep. maybe one day would get upgraded. Yeah, I'm still on Netflix streaming, I think, too. But yeah, 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 I, yeah. I like him. And just you know, narcissistic character. You're engaged by him. Just you know, you, you want to see what's going to come out of his uh, mouth next. It's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and I like the I like the relationship in this uh, this film, uh, as I'd mentioned before. Just a you know, it's a male relationship, familial. But I was thinking about you know, we've all had a friend like Fred, where, you know, someone who is uh, off-putting, never seems to have money, um, you know, (laughs) is someone who's very needy, but also kind of turns things uh, on, on you and um, yeah. yeah have, have you have you found IOUs in your dresser? <laughs> <laughs> I have. <laughs> I have too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whether you had a roommate or you know uh, just a friend or or uh, you know familial person, just we, we've all known someone like Fred. So it's it's I think it's easy to uh, relate mm-hmm. to this, and also for us being guys, I think we've had probably you know similar uh, relationships in in one way or another to this. Yeah, and I think the best the best moments of Barcelona are just when the two of them are talking. I mean, mm-hmm. they spend a lot of time in the car, walking down the street, you know, talking, just little. And, and I think that's when the, the dialogue is the funniest too. Uh, yeah. Even though I, I like the the ensemble when they they're talking to Spanish people and they're saying one thing and the Spanish people are thinking another and just kind of seeing the well as you, the subtext of, right. of the of of those conversations uh, as opposed to the text uh, and uh, what's yeah. going on. But uh, but yeah, that's... no. I, it's one of the, the quotes I think that comes up the most is, uh, you know, what do they call what's above the subtext? Well, it's the text. <laughs> the text, yeah. <laughs> well, they never it's talk great. about that. It's great. They should, yeah. So uh, anyway, and then the female characters, uh, one thing I think it's interesting is they're both English. Mm-hmm. Uh, one's American and one uh, was English. And uh, Servino, this would be right before she broke out. Uh, I think it was a year or two before My- Mighty-, Mighty Aphrodite where she won a- an Oscar. And, uh, and and in the commentary they said she was a she was breaking out during this period, uh, but yeah had not yet. And it's interesting that they're playing Spanish people. Right. And there was a little throwaway line when they're talking about the trade show girls, and they talked about how they're all in London, so sometimes you can hear the English in their accents. And I'm I'm sure that was thrown in there just to explain away the uh, that they're using English actors. Uh, yeah. So, uh, which I think that's effective at least covering their tracks. Yeah, definitely. They should. <laughs> I didn't realize uh, I, uh, Tushka Bergen, she was in Mad Max, th- uh, Beyond Thunderdome. So interesting. Yeah, I don't <laughs> remember her. For her. I don't either. I don't know how prominent her role yeah. was. I, I, think I didn't she... recognize her from anything else, really. She just uh, stood out to me as someone I'd never seen before. Yeah, I think she gave up acting at some point. I think she did mm. a few things, and who knows, she might have got married that happens sometimes yeah she hasn't done uh, anything since 2003 she was on csi um in 2002 but so yeah she might be done i guessing so i probably a housewife oh she's married to john john vouse who is uh in the industry so yeah there you go there you go <laughs> <laughs> definitely known for 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 this film uh, she's she was on the cover of the dvd yeah yeah i think it's a very uh when i think of barcelona even if it's the two the two characters i do think about uh, that image yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you know, i i don't know if i could say much about their performances they they didn't get get a lot to do yeah yeah it's uh, interesting yeah it's it just doesn't they don't really kind of stand out to me i i i don't know for some reason aaron i just like it i mean this is a nice interesting uh, male relationship but i do like it when uh stillman brings female characters more to the forefront and they're less of a kind of a background character 
Yeah. Um, so I, I think I, that's why, uh, I mean, I, I think love and friendship will get better for me, especially, you know, with uh, Beckinsale being at the front of that. And I, I did like uh, Last Days of Disco. And I, I think Metropolitan kind of has the best kind of melding, you know, of, uh, mm-hmm. of uh, male and female uh, characters. Yeah. And actually, I, I think Disco, which seems like that, that usually comes in third in the trilogy. People tend to yep. appreciate it the, the least. Mm-hmm. I actually really like Disco. I and I really too. like... I really like the two female characters, and I think that watching them, you know, watching that in, in this film and contrasting the two, and actually watching Love and Friendship, too, you, you could say that Beckinsale and Sevigny play very similar characters mm-hmm. in uh, in, the, in that movie as well. Yep. Yeah, so, it's, uh, it seems like a similar relationship somehow. It's uh, it's interesting. Uh, I, I liked, uh, you know, with, with Last Days, I like I just like the setting uh, of the, that club. Um, I like, you know, that's probably my favorite parts in the film are when we're spending some time in there. It just it, it's a it seems like a setting kind of tailor made for a, a Stillman movie where these people are gathering at you know in Metropolitan they're gathering at someone's house uh, after mm-hmm. you know going out and here they're actually gathering at the uh, at the club it's pretty right, well right. done or or in this case maybe uh, I can't remember where the, oh they at, at a picnic they were gathered at a picnic and that's where they the red ant analogy comes in which yep, of course right. hits on communism directly <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a very very stupid move by the characters uh, but again they weren't self-aware and mm-hmm. uh, another thing that i think that really comes out and this might be from stillman and having a, a foreign wife is uh I, i'd say the uh the relationships and the communication barriers and and one quote i picked up on the commentary is he said uh uh, sometimes relationships are better when you can't understand the language, mm. and and that actually comes out in the film too. Uh, it, near the end, as they're making their hamburgers, and they talk about how uh, if if uh, if there is a marital or a relationship squabble, they can just t- chalk it up to nationalistic differences, right. which I thought was you know, was key. I was brilliant actually. But you could actually everybody has a different background, and you could just apply that to your own relationship uh, you know if you if you're not getting along maybe it's because uh your wife is from this part of the country I, right no <laughs> well, just you know just the uh you know the the sex differences i mean it's uh, <laughs> well there's that too yeah always the always the the hard part about uh, making it work uh, gender is a different universe uh, mm-hmm. for sure yeah so yeah yeah i so i mean any uh, anything else to mention about uh barcelona before we Gonna give our film ratings and get into the supplements. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think think we can segue into there. I, I, I think it's a great movie, I, and I, yeah. this is my second time watching it. I this is the last of the trilogy that I'd seen. Yeah. And I, I, I it's, I'd say it's my, I, my, I think it's my favorite. I don't know. I'm still hmm. between that and Disco. Uh, but oh, really? I, I do, okay. do really enjoy it, and and watching it again with the the, the subtitles and able to read the dialogue and see how brilliant it is and and. Yeah, like you, hmm. like we mentioned, it does pay off with re- reviewings. Which was your first Stillman? Metropolitan. It was Metropolitan. Okay, yeah, and that, and that was my first too. And Ryan uh, commented on how he really loathed it. Yeah, and I didn't like it either. In hindsight, I like it better, but I, it really deserves a revisit. Yeah, I, I, I don't see it surpassing these two because it, it is, of course, his first film, and it's more indie. It's he, he hadn't really honed his craft trying things out but um hmm. i don't know I, I, after seeing that movie I, I really wanted to go play some strip poker i wanted to <laughs> you know play some what's that where they use the cigarette to drop the you know into the yeah i i don't know i i still like 
probably still like that film the best. It's interesting. So I was thinking about the um, the you know the chrono- uh, chronology that Barcelona is second, but really takes place third. And mm-hmm. I think I actually went in chronological order. Uh, thinking about it, I watched Metro- Metropolitan first, um, and then more recently. Uh, last days of disco, then watched Barcelona, and actually went back to uh, Metropolitan. So it's really probably not fair because it's the only one I've seen twice, but it's still sure. my favorite. Okay, well, I I will revisit one day, and uh, yeah, it, I know this arbitrary rating scale, but if yeah. I were to put them all three together, I, I'd say Barcelona eight, which is pretty high. I was surprised by how much I liked it, yep. and then disco maybe seven five, and Metropolitan maybe six. Six hmm. going on six and a half, but uh, yeah, I, I should definitely need to revisit that. Yeah, I'd probably go in the exact uh, opposite of you. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, I'd go, you know, probably Metropolitan 8. Um, you know, and I kept saying 92, I think, Aaron. It, it's a 1990 film. I knew there was some a gap in there. Oh, okay. So Metropolitan's 90, Barcelona's 94, uh, Last Days is uh, 98. So there's four years in between each, but... That's yeah. my fault. Yeah. So it's more uh, Soderbergh, Allison Anders, maybe. Uh, got, uh, and uh, um, and he actually references uh, um, sales, John Sales. That's right. Yeah. So I'd probably go with, uh, I mean, so I said Metropolitan at eight as far as the film rating. I, I'd go with Barcelona and Last Days of Disco, both of them. I could go uh, seven, five, maybe, you know, seven, seven, five for each one of them. I liked them both about the same. So good film. <laughs> I think what I what I like about uh, Barcelona the most is that it really does effectively uh, address politics and and address nationalism and mm-hmm. uh, and and it really it's a period piece you know just a, a decade prior to when it was made, but it it does distill the the conflicts of that the time. Uh, yeah, but, but it, and it doesn't it doesn't dwell on it either. You know, they talk about the in the deleted scenes some of the uh, political stuff. Uh, was cut out at least more of mm-hmm. the terrorism pieces, and I, I think that was after watching those. Uh, I think that was smart. Um, I, I think, think it's so too. Yeah. still a it's still a romantic comedy, but you keep you know the political backdrop. It's uh, certainly well done and, and important there. But yeah, he he knows the material that he's trying to uh, portray and uh, what kind of. Um, the tone of the film, I think he manages well. Um, I, I've heard people mention that where, you know, the director is really a, a tone manager and mm-hmm. uh, Stillman does a yeah. good job of managing the tone in this film. Yeah, uh, the political no- nuance is in the subtext, whereas the relationships are the text. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice work. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> So, so that's the um, that's Barcelona. We just wanted to you know, briefly talk about the supplements. Um, did you have a, a favorite? I think, Aaron, you, uh, you you tended towards the commentary, maybe. Yeah, well, actually, my favorite is the visual essay. Okay, but, yeah. but we talked about that on Chronicles, and so I I figured I'd pick something else, and and I'll I'll put the link. Uh, we were both on the Chronicles episode where we discussed this film, and I, I think that was a good discussion. But yeah, the the, chron- uh, the chronicles the the commentary was from two thousand two, I believe, and it was with Stillman, mm-hmm. Eigman, and Nichols. And uh, there's a lot of Stillman. Uh, I think it's mostly Stillman, and and he's uh, he's an interesting guy. He he yeah. speaks. He's very direct. Uh, you know, of course, he's not an actor, and he admits as much. But so he doesn't ha- have the, the colorful anecdotes that, uh, that the other two have, and, and right. they really kind of just interject little stories here and there, and they're and. Sometimes they're just funny, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was fun, especially from uh, Eigenman. Although he did show up in the film, they did point out that the one right. scene where he's uh, walking down the staircase. But. I liked that. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. and he did I didn't nothing. notice during the yeah. movie. Did you watch? Did you notice him watching the movie? 
not until they pointed it out. But yep. yeah, yeah there he man. is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's him. And he, he did nothing. He just walked down the staircase. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but because it's his film and it's his biography, I, it's very much autobiographical. Uh, it's It was interesting to hear, hear him relate his experiences, not just with the filmmaking, but just you know, the, having a relationship in Spain, the personal aspect, which I think, uh, and I, I think that's another touch that makes me like the film, and it does show up in the film. So, uh, yeah, made me uh, appreciate it even more. Yeah, it's a nice uh, discussion, too. I was thinking back, you know, because they are uh, talking together, and, uh, you know, in, in that commentary, it's a it's a conversation, you know, between the three of them, whereas some other mm-hmm. uh, commentaries, like the, I was thinking of, um there's one recently. Oh, the player, um, where they're, we'll talk about that later, but the way they, I think the tracks were kind of recorded separately. So this makes sure. more sense. You know, they're, they're really, you're getting into Stillman a bit, but you're also getting, um, some I- insights into the production. Uh, Eigenman was trying to quit smoking. Right. <laughs> you know, you right. Find little, yeah. little bits like that, uh, during, um, uh, that's during why he was so angry. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> makes sense. And also they, they, they work together. They had a great working relationship. And, mm-hmm. and I think in the commentary, you really do pick up on that rapport and yeah. why why they kept on coming back to each other. And they, I know they weren't on, uh, although I, I think it would be tough for Nichols and Eigenman to be American or British people, but I, I, I'm optimistic they'll work together again. Yeah. They're, they're probably still friends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think at one point they mentioned how they, they still get to, uh, when they get together in California, it's like a little community, them and, you know, some of the cast members like uh, Mira Servino. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah, nice, nice commentary. I, I certainly, I'm with you. I think the visual essay is great with uh, uh, Ferran Smith. We talked about that more, just to, gets into uh, the influences of uh, Stillman. I just, Criterion does such a good job with visual essays. It's just they an do. amazing amazing supplement that they do um, but I get so I'll just mention I did enjoy the Dick Cavett show uh, there's a few episodes on here there's uh, one on the Today Show 90, 1994 with um, Katie Couric Dick Cavett right. shows from 91 and Charlie Rose from 94 but I liked I think I like the Dick Cavett show the most I mean these are all interviews with Whit Stillman where he's uh, showing up on the show and um, mm-hmm. He does get into how he uh, went went to Harvard uh, on the Dick Cavett show and talks about mm-hmm. seventy nine and eighty about making low budget comedies, um, low budget comedies, and uh, he, that's where he mentions uh, Cassavetes and Soderbergh mm-hmm. and Spike Lee and him, you know, coming out of um, you know that that school of, uh, of filmmaking. So and Harvard comes up every time. <laughs> yep. And yep. I'm sorry, Charlie Rose, how can you interview somebody if you haven't seen the film? Come on now. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and he starts with that. He's uh, like, oh, I haven't seen it, but let's talk about Harvard. Or, gosh. You know, I forget what, it, what he... That was my, my least favorite. I, yeah. And I think that's just because yeah, I... Me too. Uh, Dick Cabot did, did a great job with interviews, and, and we've mentioned uh, on a number of casts how we, we enjoy seeing those little uh, tidbits. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. And, it, and a lot of these are, I think these are all carried over from the DVD, uh, including the commentary. The The new one is, of course, the, the uh, video, video essay that, that uh, Criterion did. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, nice nice package overall. Uh, nice to see the deleted scenes and alternative ending, too. I'm glad they put those in. Yeah. So what yeah. would you give it as a Criterion rating, then, looking at it, Aaron? It, it does have quite a bit. I, I'd mm-hmm. give it a nine, actually. It pretty much has everything, just about everything we want. Yep. I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go right there with a ten then because uh, from a overall Criterion rating I think it it's uh, everything I would want from a Whit Stillman film I think it's the best overall um, they they certainly got it right with this uh, this Blu-ray so overall um, 
Criterion rating, it's a ten. I gave the film a seven, seven and a half. So, but uh, are we gonna you rated rated the film lower and uh, and the disc higher than me? That's interesting. Yeah, we'll, I just we'll I'm thinking out. of this from you know just from an overall what was put together um, from a, a package. I think it's uh, um, this is what I want. Like you said, a visual yeah. essay, commentary, and some deleted scenes. Uh, it's a just a perfect package. And it does punctuate the trilogy too. It it, yep. it fits well with the box set. I think um, yes. Rather yeah. than just its own disc, and in fact, even one of the interviews was from Metropolitan, and yep. the other two were from uh, for this. So yeah, that's right. I, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, good, it's another one. That's, it'll be a popular box set, I'm sure, during the Criterion sale. You know, if you haven't got these films, it's now's the time. <laughs> I know I've got these films though. I want yeah, that box. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, come on, Criterion, make I just it happen. Order it. I just want to order the box. I'll, I'll pay twenty bucks for the box. Mm. Although probably if I. Did that and bought the discs again and sold them. Yeah, yeah never mind. I'll, <laughs> I'll the do same. the math later. <laughs> so is this, uh, I, I, you like the film, Aaron? Is this film canon worthy? No, I, I, I like it a lot, but uh, not quite. I, I think we have to, we've canonized a few things. We have to keep that. Uh, by the way, somebody pointed out that uh, Devin Faraci has a podcast called The Canon that kind of does what we, hmm. what weren't aware of that when we started doing this. So, yeah. Uh, um, so anyway, if anybody thinks we plagiarized Devin, in fact, I think he started that cast after we'd started ours. So he stole from us. Right. Well, and you, you've been doing the Criterion Canon on your website, uh, you know, when you started as a blog for a while. So stole it from me. Can That's you believe right. that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm sure a lot of people have done that. I actually, uh, Adam, uh, Adam, hopefully, uh, hope lies at, tw- uh, Adam Batty, yep, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't remember his last name because his Twitter is Hope Lies, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, he he has a, a film canon as well. It does a nice job with that. So yeah, yeah, it's a popular thing, you know. It trying is. to it's like making lists, you know, canonizing the your favorites, uh, what you think are the best films. And we like lists too. So, but what sure about do. you? Do, do you canonize this or no? No, I I keep thinking Aaron maybe, and I was thinking maybe Love and Friendship would be it, but I don't think it is quite something that is you know future canon worthy film from Whit Stillman maybe, but. No, yeah, not quite I think, worthy. I think even if I do come around on that and, and appreciate it more, th- I, I have enough problems with it that I, I couldn't see myself ever yep. canonizing that one. I, Agreed. May, maybe on rewatch one of the Stillmans, but uh, yeah, for, for now, I think they're just exceptional, but not quite hallmarks of world cinema, you know. Yeah, if, <laughs> I, could, if I could, yeah, if I could canonize something, maybe I'd canonize the box set, you know, just take them all together. There you um, go. But, yeah. you know, uh, separate films, not quite. But we can't. So. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Against the rules, have, we don't have the box. <laughs> if <laughs> Criterion right. gave us the box, we could canonize it. <laughs> a little plug there. Yeah. So that's uh, that's Criterion close up talking about Whit Stillman's Barcelona from 1994. I wanted to thank everyone for joining us today. I uh, also want to give a big thank you to Nick Lemos, who um, really put a just a really nice iTunes review out there uh, for us. We hadn't seen any for a while, and this really, I, I think, tickled both of us, Aaron. Yeah, um, nice. Calling us uh, the best and most informative podcast on the films within the Criterion Collection. Uh, that feels good. So, <laughs> well, you, it, he wrote simply the best. So, yes, uh, there's a, simply the best. Yeah, a little musical. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that was a nice comment. We always appreciate those. So, yeah, more iTunes reviews uh, would. Always appreciate it if you're. I know we have a, a ton of listeners, so if you want to yeah. give us just a, a few kind words, we'd appreciate it. They go a long Love way, and, yeah. and 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 just you know, if you don't want to write words, just give a star rating. It it helps uh, get us out to other listeners. Yeah. So, uh, you want to just talk about the schedule? What's coming up, real quick? Yeah. So we, we do have a few things planned, as we did mention. Uh, we've got the um, you know the the focus 
um, episodes, uh, the movement podcast that we're uh, planning. We don't have that specifically lined up, but we do have a few titles out there. We are going to be talking about the player uh, in a couple of weeks, the Robert Altman film. I do have a guest for that. And uh, early July, we'll be talking about A Brighter Summer Day. We'd be remiss if we didn't um, touch on that one. And we're also going to cover a recent release from May uh, in a Lonely Place, Humphrey Bogart film. So look, look forward yeah. to that. Yeah, maybe we'll expand that and talk about Bogey in general. I think that'll be a fun episode. Yeah. And then the I'm, I'm going out of town. Of course, it's summertime, so we're traveling. And I will be in your little neck of the woods, and we're going to do live casts. So that's, that'll be early August. And... And we actually have another surprise uh, from that same trip that I, I don't want to get into just yet, but it's super, super cool. So, Cool. Yeah. Coming Good up. times. Yeah. So folks can find uh, the show, Criterion Close-Up, at Criterion CU on Twitter, Criterion Close-Up on Facebook, and uh, CriterionClosup.com. Uh, as I mentioned before, you know, if you uh, want to give some feedback, we'd love some feedback on the movement uh, pieces that we're planning, uh, what you'd like to hear, feedback at CriterionClosup.com. Aaron, where can we find you? Uh, AWES 505. Uh, I just put up my 1958 list, so another, another episode, another list. Um, and yeah, and also... Yeah, no, that's it. <laughs> yeah, Aaron's a great follow. Follow him. Uh, some a lot of good visuals. Uh, get some um, nice uh, pictures, uh, captures from films. So you definitely want to follow Aaron. And he's, and he's funny too. Go figure. Well, occasionally. <laughs> and you Have can find moments. me uh, at Mark Herney, H U R N E, on Twitter and uh, Letterboxd. And uh, coming up on our next show, we'll have a Criterion close-up uh, episode where we, we we will be talking about a movie musician. Or talking to a movie musician, I should yeah, say. Yeah, it's going to be cool. So yeah. more more to come on that one. Yeah, good stuff. So thanks, everyone, for listening to Criterion Close-Up. We'll talk to you soon. Ba-ba-na-na-ba-ba.